What I've discovered is my role is really building the scaffolding, really building the amphitheater for voices that may not be heard in our society to, to be amplified in a way where those that hold the levers of power in our society can hear those voices and then react. Welcome to Ending Domestic Abuse, a one-of-a-kind virtual resource for helping victims escape abuse, empowering survivors, and preventing relationship violence before it can even start by giving you the tools to improve your confidence, life skills, and hope. I'm your host, Dr. Ludi Green, a national expert on violence against women and children. I have advocated across the world and directly helped more than a thousand abused women regain and maintain their freedom through economic independence. On my podcast, you will hear from top experts in fields like finance, economics, psychology, psychiatry, and many more. And you will hear stories from people who have defied the odds, overcome abuse, and found their way to success. Together, we'll offer you support and practical ideas to pursue your goals, start on a new path, and protect yourself and others from abuse. Today, we will be talking with Mary Masio, an incredible director, athlete, and lawyer, in 2000, she started the independent production company 50X Films. Since then, she has been recognized for her contributions in films with awards and fellowships, including the Women's Sports Foundational Journalism Award and the Hope Award from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Let's meet her after this short break. Ending Domestic Abuse is brought to you by Audible. Something you need to know about me is that I love to multitask. I'm a mother, a wife, and as an entrepreneur who had to build her own path to success, I'm always looking for ways to continue learning and to use my time more effectively. Audible has been a great resource for me. I can access thousands of audiobooks from the palm of my hand and listen to them as I commute to work, while I cook dinner, and when I go on a run. Listeners who have enjoyed some of our episodes on self-care will love Audible's huge list of self-help books, as well as their guided wellness program. Long-term listeners on the podcast who remember our episode with author Leslie Morgan Steiner can find her book, Crazy Love, on Audible. It is so important to continue to learn and improve yourself. You are worth it. Don't wait. Head to audibletrial.com slash ending domestic abuse to start your free trial so they know we sent you. All proceeds will go to improving this podcast to help even more victims of violence. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash ending domestic abuse. Welcome back to Ending Domestic Abuse, and this is your host, Dr. Ludi Green. When having conversations about domestic violence and human trafficking, there can be a tendency to overlook how these cycles of violence impact younger populations. Today, we want to focus our conversation with that in mind, drawing on the expertise of our guest today. According to the Polaris, a nonprofit NGO that focuses on combating human trafficking in North America, over 4,000 minors were trafficked for labor and sex work in 2021 alone. Children and teens who are homeless or runaways, African-American, Latino, or are part of the child welfare system are more vulnerable to being trafficked. In 2018, one in seven runaway children were likely victims of sex trafficking, according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 
This past year, law enforcement agencies have been working in San Diego to address human trafficking in a program called Operation Better Pathways, a combination of local, state, and federal law enforcement, completed 17 operations throughout San Diego and surrounding neighborhoods, during which they monitor video cameras and undercover units to detect possible victims, traffickers, and buyers in their community. In a press conference this past week, members of the task force revealed that they had arrested 48 individuals and rescued 16 people from trafficking. Of the 16 rescue, how were under the age of 18. The youngest victim identified was a 13-year-old girl who has since been united with her family. The Operation Better Pathways remains ongoing, but already has revealed how prominent child labor trafficking remains in society today. Our guest, Mary Mazio, helped bring light to this issue with her 2017 documentary, I Am Jane Doe. Her other projects cover a wide span of topics, focusing on everything from cyclical, game violence in Chicago, to equality for women in sports, to inner city high school retention rates. Mary, welcome to our program. We're so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me, Ludi. It's just a joy to meet and thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. We're so excited to have you and your life path is remarkable. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career in film, law, sports? How did these experiences influence you and get you to where you are today? So I think if we back up, if you don't mind, just a little bit earlier than that, I really feel like my mother was such an important piece in my journey. I was someone who didn't come from money. My mother had issues herself with challenges, domestic violence, and she imbued in her four daughters a sense of it's really important to be independent. It's really important to have a voice. It's really important to stand up for others. And so I feel like my mother, one of her lessons was never take no for an answer. <laughs> she was like, no may, might be no that moment, but it doesn't mean it's no forever. And maybe it's only no for five minutes. And that has really informed how my sisters and I like viewed the world and opportunities around us. And so when I think about my career, for example, in sports, I was cut from almost every high school team. <laughs> I had no eye-hand coordination and yet to later become, have the opportunity to represent my country in the Olympic games in the sport of rowing. And that was so much formed by the lessons of my mother, which was don't take no for an answer. And so I feel, and she used to say, if you fail, you can cry for a day, then you've got to pick yourself up and get back out there. And so when I think about whether it's my career as a young lawyer, transitioning into becoming a filmmaker, the odds are always going to be, there are always going to be obstacles. There are always going to be challenges. And how do you think about moving those obstacles or again, no, when and how can you influence it becoming yes? And why that's important, I think for somebody like me, who even though we didn't come from money, we by virtue of our skin color come from great privilege. And how do we think about the role of that? And how do we think about expanding the umbrella of privilege to others who don't have it? 
And so that's a long-winded answer that so much of how I have gone after my career or my sporting career or my current career in film has been so influenced by the lessons of my mother. Beautiful. Your film projects span a range of topics, including the immigrant experience, the trauma of cyclical poverty on teens, high school retention rates, online sex trafficking, and equality for women in sports and at large. Where does your inspiration for your projects come from and how do you decide which to pursue? That's a great question, Ludi. And I think some of it comes from just how, what are people interested in? What do they want to hear? What do they want to learn? And my very first film was actually a story about equality for women. And I just had this idea about doing a project. And I thought I was going to be like some feature filmmaker and have a cool jacket and a chair with my name on it, right? On some big movie set. Little did I know that I would actually become a documentary filmmaker And what I have found is by being invited into communities, being invited into the experiences of others, what I've discovered is my role is really building the scaffolding, really building the amphitheater for voices that may not be heard in our society to, to be amplified in a way where those that hold the levers of power in our society can hear those voices and then react. And so sometimes projects will come in, maybe a funder might call and say, hey, I have this idea. And, and you mentioned sex trafficking. I had a, a, a funder call and say, Mary, what do you know about child sex trafficking in this country? And do you know what my answer was, Ludi? With all the work that you do, you'll be shocked and probably embarrassed for me. <laughs> I said, I said, I don't know very much, but I know it doesn't happen here. That's what I said. And she was like, yes, again. Eh, eh, thank you for playing. Not so fast. And of course, I came to learn that this crime is rampant in this country, right? And, and I real, had, and real. <laughs> yes, and I had no idea. And so that came. And so when she approached me, I thought, okay, I don't know very much about this. I'm going to learn about it. But what a dark topic. This is a grim topic. There's lots of media out there about the crime of sex trafficking. What can I possibly add? And what can I add in a way that's not like stereotypical? That is so true. And probably at that time, you didn't have the knowledge like you're saying. And then you have to bring light on the top of it. Yeah, exactly. And so I started learning. And long story short, I come across this article in the Boston Globe. It's literally two inches by two inches. And the article was Jane Doe, number one, Jane Doe, number two, Jane Doe, number three, sued Backpage and its parent company, The Village Voice, for responsibility for their damages related to being trafficked, bought and sold as 14-year-old children on Backpage.com. And then I saw that they were being represented by this huge white shoe law firm, Ropes and Gray. And I thought, whoa, what's this case about? Here you have Jane Doe's and really their mothers standing up and saying, holding to account this huge platform. That was a different way into the issue. And then I was like, oh, I love this. And then I had to go raise money and create the project, which ultimately had 
impact that I never could have imagined, right? It, it catalyzed bipartisan legislation. It translated into activity overseas. That were like, And I never could have foreseen that a film like this would have had that kind of impact. And so sometimes it might be a donor calling. Other times, my last film, which was called The Most Beautiful Thing, a young man from the west side of Chicago he wrote, he self-published a memoir about the first African-American boys high school rowing team on the west side of Chicago. And somebody said, hey, there's this team. And I said, yeah, that's fake news. That, that doesn't exist. It existed, did. And that was my sport. I went to the Olympics in rowing. And so I tweeted to the author, like, amazing read, so illuminating. Thank you for writing. And my phone rings 20 minutes later. And it's our Shea Cooper. And he said, would you ever want to do a film about, right, the experiences that I had on the west side of Chicago with my teammates? And I was like, you can't say no to a call like that. And, and that was even further complicated, Ludi, about, I remember talking to an African-American pastor. And I said, I'm a blue-eyed, white hockey mom. And am I, like, how do I respond and he looked at me and first of all, when somebody calls you and asks you for help, how do you even begin to think that you should say no? He's like, of course you say yes. And, I, and that was so freeing for me that I could bring my skills to a topic. And again, this is not a story that's about me. It's not a story according to me. It's not even my vision of the story. It is how do I build the riser in amphitheater for somebody else who has an amazing story? Mm -hmm. All comes to be that you wanted to give them a voice to everyone. So you wanted people to know the stories. And that's what I think you became so successful what you're doing. Yeah, I, I can see it. Thank you. Thank you for that. And it's, it's interesting. We had a screening for A Most Beautiful Thing. And I was, it was, there was a panel. Almost everyone was a person of color. And the moderator said, all right, Mary, get ready for this one. And I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble. And he said, I was looking for your fingerprints all over this movie, and I couldn't find them. And I said, like, that's the greatest compliment that could have been paid, right? That this, in fact, was someone else's story, and it's up to me to make sure I am not visible, I'm not in the way, I am only responding with a yes, I can help, or yes, I will do what you're asking of me. Mary, we would love to talk a bit more in depth about your films that focus on the challenges faced by teenagers in our nation, both mentally and physically. Can you share with our listeners the topic of your film, I Am Jane Doe, and what the production of the film entailed? Oh boy, thank you for that question. That was an extraordinary journey. And, and I had alluded to this earlier when I had gotten a call from a donor, what do I know about child sex trafficking? I knew next to nothing. And in the course of researching both the case filed by these young children against Backpage, I also discovered a series of other cases across the country and all that were almost wholesale unsuccessful, right? They were almost always defeated in court. And this having interacting with young people that were victimized by this crime, it was, I, I remember talking to a survivor and she looked me up and down and she said, why should I be in this movie? I live this trauma 
why should I ever have to talk about it? And oh, by the way, if I am going to talk about it, what are you going to do? How are you going to help this young person? And I said, oh, I said, what a question. And I said, here's what I can promise you. I will promise that your voice will be heard to the best of my ability. So help me God by someone that can make a difference here. That's what I can promise you. And I will not stop until that goal is accomplished. And then she said, you know why I'm going to do this? And I said, please tell me. She said, because I don't want any other young person to suffer the way I have suffered. And I thought, how mag- how profound, right? Like, I'm going to do this for someone else. I'm going to pay it forward. And that young person that challenged me in really amazing ways ultimately stood next to me when we were invited into the White House when legislation was being signed that was catalyzed in large part by this project and her voice and the voice of her mother and the voice of other young people in the film like her and their mothers. And that journey where we were squarely in the middle of an issue, which really was focused on responsibility for online content. And you're hearing this today with algorithms and fake news and can you believe what you read? And this was a project that was squarely in the middle of this. At what point do these big platforms bear responsibility for what has happened to us. And what has happened to us is not just harm to children online, right? But really driving us apart as a citizenry. And it's the hateful speech. It's the incendiary speech. It's the angry speech that algorithms are designed to amplify, to keep people on their site longer. And it's appealing to the worst in all of us and certainly not the best. And it's really, you ask any educator today, and they are, they would like to put these large scale social media platforms out of business because of the trauma, trauma that young people are suffering and particularly to their mental health and well-being at really alarming rates. Mm-hmm. As I understand, this film had a tangible impact on public on policy legislation, like you just mentioned, and activism in the United States and abroad. What type of change do you see following its release and what role do do documentaries play in creating social change and justice? Oh boy, what a question. Some of this is being at the right place at the right time. This was a perfect storm where we saw bipartisan legislation being led by Rob Portman, Republican, John McCain, Republican, Richard Blumenthal, Democrat, Heidi Heitkamp at the time, Democrat, right? And you had this, Kamala Harris came in and Cory Booker, and you had this amazing coalition of senators coming together, rising above party and really focusing on the human issue. And that was incredibly exciting that the voices in this film, along with the work, so many NGOs and nonprofits and activists across the country had been working for years. And so we were just, as I call it, we were like, you're part of a hockey team and you've just pulled the goalie and there's an extra player on the ice. And I view our film as just being part of that greater team, 
right? That yes, it, it could have helped to really create this tsunami effect, but certainly we were piggybacking off the work of many others that were raising the alarms years prior to what was happening with these online platforms and why were they not certainly being held accountable for the harm to children that was happening in plain sight. You know, you're really doing outstanding work and you have done it already. Are there any upcoming projects so we should keep an eye out for or a way for listeners to follow along with your work and connect with you? I want them to know how can they reach out to you oh, or follow thank you. thank you for that. Well, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm not super active because we're typically so busy, but I'm typically at Mary Mazio on most of your social media channels. Our website is 50eggs50eggs.com. Grant Hill, Allison Abner, who wrote for Narcos and West Wing. Grant owns the Atlanta Hawks. He was an NBA star himself. He, Allison, and I have teamed up to produce a project narrated by Edward Norton and Quanta Chasing Horse that really recounts the history of resilience of the Bad River Band of the Lake Superior Ojibwe. And so that that's a new project that will be coming out early next year. And then we've got an amazing women's sports project teed up for after that. It's never a dull day around here, Ludi. I can see that. Thanks once again. <laughs> thanks once again to our guest, Mary Mazio, and thanks to you for listening. No matter who you are or what you have been through, you can find help and you can find a way out of abuse and into your new life. Send us an email through our website at ludigreen.com. That's ludigreen.com, or you can call our abuse hotline at 202-643-2327. That's 202-643-2327. We'll help you find a way out to freedom. You can find me on social media at Dr. Ludigreen on Instagram and Twitter. You can also help stop abuse by spreading word of our podcast. Just go on Spotify and please give us a five-star rating or share your comments. Thank you again, and together, let's all find a life you deserve.